Our Old Testament lesson this morning is uh, Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. It can be found on page 859 in your pew Bibles. If you did not bring a Bible with you and you need one, there are some scattered around. Um, and if you don't want to get up and get one, if you'll just raise your hand, then Benjamin will bring one to you. Thank you, Benjamin, for volunteering. (laughs) (laughs) Psalm 23. This should be a familiar psalm to you. A psalm of David. If you have never uh, taken the time to try to commit this to memory, I would encourage you to do so. Every line is um, just amazing. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good stuff. Turning then to John 15, our gospel lesson. We found on page 1676 in your pew Bibles. This is... uh, Another passage that should seem somewhat familiar as we tend to come back to this again and again. This is Jesus talking with his disciples uh, the night that he then later goes uh, to be arrested and put on trial before going to the cross the next morning. And so in saying kind of these last words in his last time together with the disciples, um, Here's some of what he says. This is John 15, 1 through 17. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. 
For everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Says the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we uh, turn then to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, um, we are really nearing the end of uh, the book of Philippians. In fact, we will get tantalizingly close to the end of the book today, but not quite. We're going to save that for next week while we're out at Worship on the Water. And um, for today, just verses 10 through 20, which even themselves maybe ought to be broken up a little more as there's so much in here. Uh, we talked last week about um, anxiety and worry and that uh, kind of God's prescription of how to deal with that. And so what Paul tells us from his Roman prison, when he had good reason for anxiety, he had good reason for worry, he had good reason to... Um, kind of give up hope and to not have any joy and to not have any peace. And yet, even from this Roman prison, he's able to write, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is uh, the kind of thing that he's giving as a prescription, he goes on to say later, you know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So, take everything you've got, give it to God. All those worries, all those care, give it to God. Pray to Him, knowing that He uh, loves you and cares for you and is taking care of you, watching over you. So you don't need to worry about those things. He's got you covered. So then here's what to think about instead. But then, beyond that, is then he goes into the, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And so, go ahead and put into practice the things that you have learned and do those things. So that's what we looked at last week, is what do we do when uh, when we are worried or have that anxiety? And, uh, and that's sort of the prescription he gives there. This week, we're looking at something related but a little different. Um, this has to do more with with giving and receiving and some of the reasons why we tend not to related to pride or whether related to fear. And that's the one that we're really going to hit on is that, that fear of uh, giving and receiving, both ends of that. So, on the one end, there's the, I don't want to give because then I might not have enough for me. And so, I'm afraid that I'm not going to have enough. I'm afraid that God's not going to provide for me, and so I have to hold on to what I have. There's that end of it. But then there's the other end of it when it's, I don't have enough, and I'm afraid that I'm not ever going to have enough. And what am I going to do in this situation when I find myself not having enough stuff? And so... Paul's going to address both of those uh, from his relationship with the Philippian church. I already mentioned that he is in a Roman prison. He's writing to this church in Philippi, and the reason that he's writing to them when he is is because they have actually just sent gifts to him. In this Roman prison where he is, he doesn't have a way 
to go out and work and to earn a living, which is what he did everywhere else he went. But he's in prison now, and the way they did the prison there, they don't take care of you there. They don't care if you die there. And so if there are people who you know who are willing to take care of you, then you get taken care of. And if there's nobody, then you don't. And so for Paul, who's in this Roman prison, the Philippians find out that he's there, and they're like, oh my goodness, we need to do something. And so they kind of gather together, they take up a collection, and they uh, get this guy named Epaphroditus and say, take our gifts to Paul, find him in Rome, make sure he gets this, so he has what he needs. And so uh, Paul has received their gifts, and now he's going to send Epaphroditus back to them with this letter with this letter uh, to the Philippians that has then made its way into uh, our Bibles. We read it even today because it's not just Paul talking to Philippians. This is God's message to his whole church. And so, um, but as we read what Paul says here about specifically that, he's told them a lot of other things so far, but now he's going to address specifically this giving of gifts that they did for him and what that means um, even bigger picture. So he says, starting in verse 10, he says, I rejoiced, this, yeah, Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. Does that sound familiar? It's what he's been telling them all through the letter. Rejoice, not in your circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord. Okay, so he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Kind of sounds like he finishes the letter there, doesn't it? But no, there's more. We'll save that for next week. But hopefully you hear what's going on in this letter. And um, as he responds to receiving their gifts and what that means for him and what that means for them and then what that means for us. And I want to start on that with uh, the verse from this passage that is the most famous verse from this passage, maybe even the most famous verse of all of the book of Philippians, which is Philippians 4.13. This is a verse, a little sketchy history in its usage uh, in our culture today. This is the verse that says, uh, as we just read, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Some of the older translations you may be more familiar with. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does that sound familiar? This is the kind of verse that uh, people will paint in their eye black or hold up in signs or uh, use as sort of a life verse. And it tends... It's, it's a great verse. And we'll get into this in a second. But here's where the sketchy history comes in. Is it tends to be used to mean I can do whatever I put my mind to because I have the power of God backing me to do whatever I put my mind to. Is that what Paul was saying? When we look at the whole context of what he's saying, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> but that's how people, you take that one verse, you pull it out and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. So if I want to go do that, I go do that. If I want to go do that, I go do that. And I'll be able to do it. And Christ will give me the strength I need to be able to do it. Uh, one of the problems with this, besides that's not what Paul's saying, <laughs> is that when people think this is what Paul is saying, and then they go try to do something they want to do, and it doesn't work, now suddenly they start thinking, well, then the Bible's wrong. Or God didn't do what he said he was going to do. Because I thought it said I could do all things, and apparently I can't. Which means he's not giving me the strength to do what I want to do, which means the Bible must be wrong. But that's not what it's saying. So what is Paul saying here? This is kind of the key, really, to this whole section. It has to do with that word content. With that word content. Paul has already been talking about um, having his mind set a little differently than the rest of the world. As he has Jesus in front of him, that's where his mind is set. That's the things that he's thinking of, is who Jesus is, what he's about, what he did, what he continues to do. And as he has Jesus in focus, and then other people in focus, you see, like, Paul's anxieties kind of melt away. Now, he talks at one point how he does still have some anxiety. I don't want to think. Anyway. Uh, if you look for that one, it's in that letter. Um, has to do with sin and Epaphroditus back, chapter 3. So, uh, but this is what he has in view, and because of this, uh, all his anxiety, his uh, worries kind of melt away. <clears throat> and when it comes to having his physical needs provided for, that gets lumped in there too. And so, sometimes we have this idea that, well, if you have a lot of stuff, then that must be a bad thing because that will take you away from God. And I will say, more often than not, that is the case. That a lot of stuff can distract you and blind you, and you start going after that and losing sight of who God is and what he's called you to. However, the same can be said if you don't have anything... <laughs> You can still have stuff on your mind because I don't have anything. i got to get the stuff. And so whether you have stuff or not, stuff can still be the thing you're after. It can still be what's consuming your heart. And so um, what Paul is saying, though, is I've been on both ends of that spectrum. I've been here, I've been there, I've been everywhere in between. And what I've found is having stuff as the center of my life that's a waste of time, it's a waste of energy, and it's a waste of who God created me to be. And so, 
there's a different way. And his way is saying, I've learned to be content. If I have a lot of stuff, okay, fine. I have a lot of stuff. If I don't have any stuff, okay, fine. I don't have any stuff. The important thing to me is not whether I have a lot of stuff or not a lot of stuff. The important thing is my relationship with Jesus. And if I have that relationship with Jesus where I know he's taking care of me no matter what, then I can have a lot of stuff and I don't have to be afraid that it's all going to come crumbling down. Because whether I have it or I don't, I've got Jesus. And that is what matters. And so, uh, this is not, he's not commenting on whether it's right or wrong to have a lot of things or not a lot of things. But what is the most important thing? And are our lives really centered around what is most important? And how, if we have our lives centered around what is most important, that actually is um, kind of that, that safeguard against all the economic uncertainties of the world. That being said, this is where Paul is. He says, I know what it's like, and I've learned the secret of being content. And the secret of being content is knowing that Jesus is with me. I have that relationship with him. This is what David was talking about in the... Uh, no, I walk through the darkest valley. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Right? So Paul, here he's in the uh, Roman dungeon, in this prison, and um, and says, I'm content here. If this is where I need to be, I'm okay with that. Better places to be in the world. But he's content even there, because he knows even there, God is with him. And so... Uh, and so he says all this and then says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's Jesus strengthening him. It's not him doing this, but it's just him having his mind set in the right spot, knowing who God is and what he's doing in and through him. Okay. But what about the Philippians? Paul says, I'm fine. I know God's going to take care of me. And so, you know, the Philippians are reading this going, oh, I guess we didn't need to send anything because he's fine without us. And Paul says, no. Actually, it was really good of you. It was good of you uh, to share in my troubles. That's how he puts it. For you to give these gifts, you were sharing in my troubles. And that is a good thing because there are a couple things going on there. One is you were actually the way that God was providing for my needs. The way that God was taking care of me was through you. And so if you had said, well, I guess he's fine either way. We didn't do anything then you would not have been doing what God was calling you to do in taking care of my needs. But more than just that, more than just a taking care of uh, those financial or physical needs, he calls it a way of, he says, you were sharing in my troubles. That even though they are many, many miles apart, and this is in the pre-internet days where those, were, those miles were far, <laughs> even though they were so far away, it wasn't a case of out of sight, out of mind. But even though Paul was so far away, they still had him in mind. And they said, if he's in trouble, we got to do something. Because his trouble is our trouble. We are connected as part of one body. And if he's in trouble, we share in that. And so this is where, um, where they are providing for his need that way. In this, he says, uh, this isn't the first time you've done this. You've done this for me on numerous occasions. And in fact, there have been times where you were the only ones doing that. And if they're the only ones that were doing that, and they had decided then, well, I guess if Paul's content in being in a Roman prison, 
that would not be good at all. But it does make you wonder. And we don't have the answer for this, but it does make me wonder why it is that they were the only church to share with him in this. It says, even when... um, Let's see. No, before that. Verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, that's where they were, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. And he goes on to say they did it more than once. They're the only ones. Why isn't anybody else sharing with him? He knew lots of churches. He'd planted lots of churches, started these new congregations everywhere he was going, and then he finds himself in need, and it's just the Philippians. I don't know. I don't know why, but I do think that because of this, that there is a link there between Paul and the Philippian church, where he talks about earlier in the letter, I have you in my heart. (laughs) Because there is this connection, not just of uh, kind of money going back and forth, but there's a connection of we are in this together. Your troubles are my troubles, my troubles are your troubles. We're going to share in this, uh, in this life together. And this ministry together, that's kind of what he's been going through the whole letter. And so he has to keep pointing out as he goes through this, yes, it was good of you to give. And I like that you did because here's what that means about our connectedness and our unity in Christ. But please don't hear me saying, give me more money. I want more money. And this has been uh, one of the accusations of the church through the ages is that people will, and and with good reason, there are plenty of preachers who have uh, been in the ministry for the wrong reasons and have just said, hey, give me more money. But down through the ages, there have also been preachers, preachers who have said, that is a part of what it means to be united in Christ, is to help people who are in need, to give out of what we have been given, to understand that whether we have a lot or whether we don't have a lot, Our standing is in Jesus. Our contentment is in Jesus. And so we should be able to give and to give freely and not grudgingly. We should be able to give joyfully. We should be able to give in a way, as he says later, that it's a uh, fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. In other words, he's saying, you're giving, you weren't just giving to me. This was a sacrifice you're making to God. This is something that you are giving as an act of worship to God. That that's what it's to be about. And so, while when preachers preach on that, though, unfortunately, a lot of times what people hear is, so you just want me to give you more money? Is that what you're saying? And so Paul, even, Paul has to keep coming back and saying, I'm not asking for more money. <laughs> that's why I'm telling you that I'm content in every situation. And so you don't think that I'm just asking for more money. So I don't know how many times it is in just these few uh, verses. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. <laughs> not saying this, so you can, so I'm asking for more money. That's not it. He says, I know how to be content no matter what. Then he goes on a little bit later. Uh, verse 17, not that I desire your gifts. That's not what I'm wanting. I'm not wanting you to give more and more and more and more. That's not it. But what I do desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. I've got all that I need. But here's what I want. I want for you to have what I have. I want you to have 
that relationship with Jesus so that no matter what your circumstances are, that you would learn the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether hungry or well-fed, whether living in plenty or living in want, that you would be content knowing that you can do all that through Him who gives you strength. Now we started by saying you know, what Philippians 4.13 does not mean. That it does not mean that, um, that you can do whatever you put your mind to and God will make sure that happens. But I want to make sure that we hear what it does mean. And the reason why it is a good verse to have on your eye black and to have on signs and to have uh, as your life verse. Because what Philippians 4.13 is saying is not you can do whatever you put your mind to, but that you can make it through whatever situation you're in. You can continue to walk with Jesus through anything. One of the things we've been talking about with this whole letter is that kind of whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation. And Paul is saying, I've learned that the secret of being content is understanding that he is walking with me in every situation. And so, I've got this. Because I know that he's got this. <laughs> One of the things we also talked about throughout this letter is we don't know the situations that are coming for any of us. We can look backwards and see situations that we've been through already we never thought we'd face. And we know there are probably more of those coming. And so what I want us to hear today, beyond all the giving and receiving, I want us to hear that as a way of sharing in each other's troubles. So if one of those Whatever circumstances happens, not to you, but to someone in this body, you would be able to share in their troubles. And if something happens to you, where you find yourself in one of these whatever situations, that you wouldn't despair, that you wouldn't have to fear, you wouldn't have unnecessary anxiety or worry. But even then, you would find the peace of God and an ability to be content even in those circumstances. Knowing that He is the one who will give you strength to carry on even there. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.